Lake Effect continues on Milwaukee Public Radio. I'm Joy Powers. And I'm Bonnie North. If you travel about seven miles south of the airport, you'll find one of the last farms that is run full-time by the people who own and live on the land that they actually farm. Dave Kozlowski and Sandy Rodens own Pine Hole Gardens, and they've been growing produce using organic methods for the past 23 years. For Kozlowski, farming is not a hobby or a pastime. It's a living. Our Full Plate series continues with one perspective of why people go into agriculture in the first place. Lake Effect's Audrey Nowakowski wanted to know what compelled Kozlowski to start his farm. Compelled is an interesting word because I wouldn't feel like I was compelled into this. That's suggesting a compulsion, something forcing me into it. It was more of a transition into it. My wife had a job that she didn't really particularly care for and came across this notion that you could grow produce for people and uh, pack it in boxes every week and they would pay for that pleasure and for the pleasure of knowing you in the farm. And she thought that was the coolest thing, and she hated her job, so she she quit it, and she started this off on a very small basis. Now, this program is called Community Supported Agriculture, or CSA, and she did that by herself with my help on the weekends for, uh, I don't know what it was, maybe 10 years uh, we did that, maybe eight years we did that. And gradually it got bigger and bigger and bigger, and I became really interested in this concept. Initially, I was a Doubting Thomas, uh, but I became very interested in this business. Um, it was sort of an extension of the work I had already been doing at a magazine called Building Operating Management in Milwaukee. Excellent company. I love the folks there. I still talk to them. I still see them. I enjoyed my work with the magazine, and I was doing a lot of energy and building efficiency kind of coverage for the magazine. So I felt I was doing something good. This was taking it a step farther. I was not just writing about doing something good, but I was actually doing something good. And being a person who came of age in the late 60s and 70s, I was completely uh, steeped in peace and love and the environment. I never lost that. So when this opportunity came up, I saw a way of applying this idea about making the world a little better place. I know it sounds trite and so naive, but... I really believed that this was a way to make the world a little better place. So I wasn't compelled so much as just sort of transitioning into something that I thought was a better way to, to go about making the world a little better place. And do you think it takes a certain type of altruistic character or inherent uh, grit in order to be able to be a farmer for life? Grit, yes. I don't think there's a specific character type because when I look back at all my comrades in this work. We come from all walks of life, teachers, engineers, nuns, priests. Some people actually grew up on farms and continued to farm. So from all walks of life, all different kinds of personalities, you know, type A's, type B's, whatever the types there are. But I think there are key characteristics that you need to go into this kind of work, you know. And one that I think of is, is you, you really have to have sort of flexible mindset. You have to sort of have an uh, eclectic mindset. You need to be able to pick up bits and pieces of things that are working here, working there, and applying them to the work you're doing. And I should say, when I, when I talk of farming, I'm talking about pretty much the farming that we're doing, which is produce farming, organic farming. Some of this might or may not hold true for farming across the board. There's dairy farming, row crop farming, orchardists, all, all kinds of farmers. 
but for the people I know, it's mostly orchardists and, and dairy, some dairy farmers and grazers and produce farmers. You, you need that flex, sense of flexibility because you're working with nature. You also need a stick to itness, you know, persistence. Something that's a very good idea might not work the first time you try it. So don't give up. You need that ability to say, okay, all right, maybe we tweak it. Maybe it just wasn't the right situation. Let's stick to it. You also need, you need to be a bit of a people person. That's certainly true in our business where we have a CSA and we have farm markets and we have restaurants. You need to be able to work with people. But I think that's really true of any farming business because there is a, a community of farmers that interact all the time. And if you're going to be a person that's just going to be a wallflower or it's going to hide in the corner or a person who thinks they know it all, I think you're going to be in more trouble than, than you can imagine uh, because you're not out there networking, sharing ideas with other people. Um, you need to be in good health. This is hard work. This is the hardest work I've ever done in my life. And I've done some hard jobs in, in, in my uh, experience as an adult working, um, but this is easily the hardest work I've ever done. Well, yeah, let's expand upon that. What did you find you noticing yourself changing you know, physically but also mentally as you have done this kind of work? I have discovered that this is a far riskier business than I thought. Um, when we started out, because we started out so small and because the weather seemed so predictable uh, that I go, oh, this is really not all that hard and it's really a lot of fun and we put <laughs> seeds in the ground and they grow and, you know, and they harvest and people love it and it's really cool. Well, things have gotten a little hairier now. The weather is getting a little less predictable Markets have become a little less predictable. There's lots of options for people these days to buy their produce. So it's become a little riskier. That's not something I expected to find as uh, we go now 23 years into the business. I thought it would be smoother sailing as I went along. It's getting a little rougher. Probably, and it's a little, I think, probably physically harder than I thought it would be. But because I have persistence, I have stick to itness, mm -hmm. <laughs> and because I'm of good health, I can deal with it, and I actually like hard work. I'm not much of a sitter-arounder kind of person. So I, I would say, yeah, that's, that, those two things kind of surprised me a little bit. As you were introduced and, as you say, transitioned into farming, you weren't necessarily diving into new waters when you were farming, but were there assumptions or misconceptions about full-time farming that were quickly dispelled for you once you really started doing this full-time with your wife? Yes. You have to make a transition. You have to know how to scale up. That was a hard thing for us to learn. And had we been trying to scale up all on our own, we would have made a lot more mistakes than we did. But because this cadre of farmers who are in this business um, are so giving of their, their background, their interests, their knowledge, their experience, that helped us a lot to learn how to go from, you know, our very first CSA program had one member. So, you know, to go from one member to now 180 or 190 members required a, a geometric increase of knowledge of how to do all these things and the equipment that's needed and how to repair the equipment and things like this that we, we didn't go into this business knowing. And so thank goodness for the farmers we know out there uh, that could help us along organic, conventional, dairy, produce, all of them have been helpful in our, our abilities to, to do this work. Well, as you mentioned, the stat of one CSA up to over 100, I imagine the financial difficulties were 
hard to navigate as you go because I'm trying to do the, the math in my head of, all right, one CSA, but compare that to, you know, the cost of running a farm. And then right. obviously you're just supplying the labor at that yeah. point. But is that flexible mindset also necessary for finance in farming? Big time. Yeah. It, this is a lifestyle. Okay, you have to cut out a lot of things that you used to do and really enjoy, like vacations. <laughs> uh, they cost too much, and you don't have the time to do them. So you, you have to cut that kind of stuff out. But just also determining where is the right balance between the number of members, the number of people, the number of land you want to work, and the amount of income you might need to work that land is still a learning process for us. Because the more efficient we get at growing, the less need we have for specialized equipment or people or something like that, which could be very costly. Nonetheless, I mean, you you still need some of that equipment. Um, You need to tweak it as you go along. So thankfully, my wife is very good with the accounting books. So she can give me a capital budget and let me know how much I can spend this year on what we have to do. That was a learning curve because it would, for the first 10 years, I still had my job and I was paid very well for what I did. And so if we made a mistake, if we fell short, hey, no problem. You know, we've got money to cover it. Now everything comes from the farm and it's expensive. Um, we'll spend ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 right off the bat in the spring on seeds. And that's not even then looking at equipment we might want to buy tractors that break down, employees that we have to work longer than we thought, things like that. So this is not simply putting things in the ground and selling them and feeling good about that. There is a business side to this that I admittedly am weak on, but thankfully my wife is strong on. You mentioned there's a business side, you have your personal side, and also the big community aspect. And that's something that perhaps people are not familiar with the whole process of farming or the community mm-hmm. would be surprised at. Because originally you might think of it as a very traditional, solitary activity, you know, back John Adams, you know, he'd say farming was more noble than his law practice, you right. know, right. that that's what he preferred. And, and you see people just tending to their own thing. And it was out of necessity. Yeah. But today, as you mentioned, there's a lot of options. So how important is that community spirit of farming in modern day um, agriculture? It's very important. And it's not new. I mean, if you read uh, Thomas Jefferson, he spent a lot of time talking with other farmers and uh, getting information from them. Nothing has changed. Whether you go to a conference or you're at the seed seed and feed mill, um, you're always exchanging information with other farmers. That sense of exchange, that sense of of sharing experiences is all part of that sense of being a a community among farmers. And it's not just farmers. I mean, um, our community extends out to the community in general. And Uh, We sometimes get tips from gardeners who are doing things or are seeing things that we haven't yet seen and should be alerted to. As you and your wife, Sandy, have built up your farm, what have you learned that you will not compromise on, Yeah, both personally and in practice? Yeah, that's not hard for me to imagine. Um, Health, in a word. No matter what we do, no matter where the books look, no matter what the weather is like, I will not compromise on the health of the food we produce, the health of the land we work on, because all of that relates to the health of that community that we were talking about, particularly the community at large. They are important to us. And because they're important to us, 
I will do whatever I can to produce the best food and the best environment on our farm that I can. Do we sometimes have to cut corners on things? Maybe, but it never is a cut or a shortcut that will have a detrimental effect on either the crop or the land. And we're an open farm. I mean, anybody could walk our place and look at, or ask me what we do or poke around in the corners of the barn or whatever. I, I don't really care because we have nothing to hide. Um, so I will not compromise on health. I will take a cut on finances. I will work longer hours, but I will not compromise on health. As you mentioned, there's land, there's money, working outdoors, <laughs> the independent drive. There's a lot of things that could hinder people from either starting or could result in them stopping and farming. But what is your personal drive to keep this going? Well, you know, that's really a, that's a big subject because, um, because it, it is an important subject because there are these things, these roadblocks, these hurdles that can keep people from getting into the business. So we need to solve that problem somehow. Um, and we we'll, don't want to get into it right now because it's a long discussion. But we didn't start with land. Uh, we spent actually five years as itinerant farmers while we were looking for a farm. And we were looking all over the state. Itinerant farming wasn't working out because <laughs> you have no control over the land. You spend a lot of time traveling. You know, at one point we were using land, and the woman who gave it to us was a sweetheart um, out in McGuanago. But uh, I would drive out there after work, and if I forgot to bring something with me, it's 30 miles back home to get it, and, back, and that's just not going to happen. So itinerant farming was not working out. We couldn't find a farm because the land prices had gotten too expensive. Luckily, the land that we were renting at the time, living on, which was slated to be a development by the owners, they decided to let us buy the farm at a price that was way, 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 way below development price because they liked the idea of what we wanted to do. We wanted it to be an organic farm, a public farm. Um, we wanted to raise produce. We wanted to bring kids groups, almost all these things that we do. Um, they thought it was a cool idea, so they gave us a deal on buying it. So we, we ended up with land, but we didn't have it initially. Uh, we loved the outdoors. We both gardened. Uh, I was a big bicyclist. Um, I biked all over the place. So that was our initial attraction, was just being outdoors. And my wife wanted to work for herself. but She got tired of working for people she didn't want to work for anymore. I've always been independent, so I liked working for myself as well. So I would say those two things are really the most important things for us to help us get started in this business. We knew nothing of agriculture, really. We knew we had a garden, and that was it. So it was risky based on that qualifications for getting into it. But as I said before, persistence, flexibility, <laughs> you stick it out, you, you make it work. Well, David, I look forward to having you back to talk about the many aspects surrounding farming to come. And I look forward to talking to you. Dave Kozlowski is the co-owner of Pinehole Gardens in Milwaukee, along with his wife, Sandy Rodens. Kozlowski was a former contributor for Lake Effect, and we are happy to welcome him back to share his insights about farming. That's a whole lot of cornflakes near enough to feed New York till 97.